Yes, please grab a seat. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Clay, if we uh, haven't met before. Wow. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Some of you do, okay. Are you familiar with the phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus? That's something you've heard before? Okay. Uh, That's not a phrase that's always been uh, uh, used um, of of Christians. In fact, it's a relatively uh, recent phrase. Um, Maybe 50, 60 years we've been using that. The ministries of uh, Billy Graham, you might have heard of him. Billy Graham and a guy called Bill Bright uh, led a revolution in particularly more conservative circles, uh, a revolution of Christian faith uh, that was about a personal engagement with God rather than just a connection with a a church organization. And a personal relationship with God was the the catchphrase uh, of this movement. Uh, and so millions of people were led through a prayer to uh, connect them to a personal relationship with God. And God was, uh, was revealed to people as someone that you can actually have a personal relationship with. And weird as that may sound, that was revolutionary for a good part of Christendom. But what does, uh, what does it actually mean to have a personal relationship uh, with Jesus? Hmm. Turns out that that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a young man uh, once. We were just talking through some things, and he was sharing some of uh, his relationship with Jesus. And uh, his... Relationship with Jesus was such that uh, uh, he could sometimes call Jesus, and please no offense intended, he could sometimes call Jesus a fag. Uh, and he could do that because that, to, in his social group, was a term of endearment. That, you know, that's what you'd call your mates. Ha oh, ha, you fag. Uh, and because Jesus and him were so close, you know, it was cool for him to, to refer to, to Jesus in those terms. Uh, suffice to say, uh, I was, I was mortified. I uh, I get the concept of referring to my friends in affectionately vulgar terms. I'm not going to defend that, but I, I get that, you know, hanging with the boys. Um, but Jesus is nothing like my human friends. Uh, Jesus is uh, the Lord Almighty, the King of Heaven and Earth. So my personal relationship with God is not such that I can refer, refer to him in such crass terms. But I, I got where this young man was coming from. And I, as I thought about what he sincerely believed, I thought at the heart of it was something quite special. That to him, that was a, a phrase he would only refer to his closest friends. And so even though he was wayward, to him that's what a personal relationship meant. And so when I tried to work out how can a young man get to that point, because I've been in 
teaching in youth ministries for more than a decade, and I've never ever come across a teaching uh, where you can, uh, you know, call Jesus a fag. Um, so how, how does young man get to that point? This guy loves the Lord, no doubt about it. And what I, what I came back to is actually this idea of a personal relationship with, with, with Jesus, a personal relationship. Now, uh, there's something just in, in, the, in, the, in the phrase, in, in the terminology, there's something uh, implicit in there that can lead you in all kinds of directions. And that's, that's for start, the word personal. Uh, personal uh, is, is me. It's, it's on the person, and it's the relationship that I have. And a personal relationship uh, is a unique relationship. And a unique relationship is defined, well, by me. And so I can engage with God however it kind of suits me. And I guess f- for me to engage with God, I've got to fit him into what, into what I like and into what suits me. So my personal relationship with God works because I mold God into the shape that fits best with me. So my personal relationship with God ends up with a personal God. Uh, a personal Jesus. And my Jesus is better than your Jesus. He is just right. And I don't, th- I don't think anyone sets out to recreate who God is. It's just something that we, dis- we do. And, and I don't think we can help it. We perceive all truth through our own lens, our own filters, which determine what's, what, what truth is. And as part of that, we, we decide who, who God is. And sometimes we filter out some of the things we're not so sure about or don't like. And we grab hold of and amplify the things we really do like. And what that can mean is our Jesus, our God, ends up being very different to a lot of other people's. Have you ever wondered why there are so many uh, Protestant denominations in the world? I think, uh, I think Greg I think, uh, he quoted something like, was it 11, 12, 30, oh, 36,000 denominations. Do you know how that happens? Personal relationship with God. See, your God, I'm not sure about your Jesus, your God is close, but I've got a personal relationship with a Jesus who's probably a bit better than yours. So why don't you come to my church and... Uh, We'll talk about him, and you can be friends with him. You can see how it happens, eh? Mm. Because I have a personal relationship. Um, a, do you think the, the phrase personal relationship with Jesus is in the Bible? No. Did people in the Bible have personal relationship with Jesus? Oh, yes, they did. Okay, we're not... This is not about banging personal relationships. What we need to do is kind of establish some context where we can engage with God in a very personal way, but not go crazy on it. I, oh, I long for the relationship that David had. King David in the Bible, it didn't matter what he did or how he messed up, he could just come back to the Father and just weep and repent and just find this connection. There's something very special there. I want that. Moses on the mountaintop, face to face with God, leaving his presence and just covered in the radiance of God. How cool does that sound? 
That's, that comes from personal relationship. So I want this. But I don't want to create for myself a God, well, of my own creation. I want the real deal, not the clay version. And you guys certainly want something better than the clay version. The concept of a personal relationship with Jesus has been taken to an extreme. Uh, And this follows uh, a major philosophical drift that, you know, we're always moving philosophically uh, as cultures. And as we've followed through the postmodern and then the postmodern, post-postmodern cultures, uh, what has traveled along with that is uh, a concept called individualism and existentialism. And in this, uh, the focus on community and the group uh, is put aside to focus on the individual. And so the most important unit uh, in society is the, is the individual. So, uh, so human rights goes to the point where it's not about what's good for the community, it's what's good for, for you. Uh, and alongside that, uh, our engagement in, in faith becomes not about uh, the community, it becomes about you. And so uh, out of that, we see all kinds of interesting things, like the, uh, the supermarket shopping approach to church. Uh, when you're looking to plant yourself uh, in, a, in a church and thinking about staying there, uh, it's all about kind of finding the goods and services which suit your needs. So uh, a place like The Rock, for example, we could have a major, and we ha- are in a major transition, where it's like, you know what? All of the goods and services that historically we've offered, you know what? We don't think God is actually asking us to deliver that anymore. And that's not a wise use of the resources he's given us. So we're, we're not going to necessarily offer all of those goods and services next year. <gasps> well, okay, well, if you're not going to meet my needs, I will go somewhere else that will. And I need this program, this program, this program, and this program, because church is all about me. And I get that. That makes perfect sense if you come from that paradigm that church is all about you. And the kingdom is all about you and your needs being met. So, I don't know. I understand people who come from, from that, that mindset. But we need to break that mindset. We understand that it's not all about you. It's not all about your revelation and what you understand. But it's about what God is saying and doing in his people. Of which the rock... It's just a tiny fraction. Do you think that you are the body of Christ? Do you think you are the bride? Think God, do you think Jesus is going to marry you? No, he's not. Jesus is coming back for his bride, which is the church with a big C. It's all of the redeemed. We're a part of that. And our contribution makes up some of the character of who the bride is, who the body of Christ is, but I'm not the bride. I'm a dude. I can't marry a man. I'm pretty sure Jesus is against that. But I can put aside a bit of my rampant masculinity to say that I can make up some of the character of the partner that Jesus wants to connect with, the bride of Christ. So I'm cool with that, and I'm excited about that.
Mm. Our insular personal relationships with Jesus can turn into a vacuum. It's a vacuum because we're blocking out other influences. But uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And so we've got to fill the space uh, with our own image uh, of who we want Jesus to be. And we interpret the scriptures through that lens of individualism as well. So ultimately, everything we read, it's about me. Jesus wants to speak to me uh, uh, in every verse I read. And it's actually just about me. So I'll interpret it to, to be about me. So Jesus becomes who we want him to be. And in extremes, and this is, you know, this is a hyperbole, this is an extreme, but this is how you get not just different denominations. This is how you get cults. I'm not sure if, you've, if, if you're very familiar with the doctrines of the Jehovah's Witnesses or, or the Mormons, but the, the Jesus that they've worked out, he's pretty different to, well, he's pretty different to my one. You've got a Jesus who is not God. You've got a Jesus who once was a ruler on another planet. You've got a Jesus who was a created being, the first of us. And these doctrines, except for the planet one, I'm not sure about that one. These doctrines are established in Scripture. How do you, how do you get to that? You get to that with a personal relationship where you're off just doing your own thing, come up with your own revelation when you read a scripture you don't understand. And you know what? No one else seems to understand me, so I'll start my own thing. We need to understand that there is a relational spectrum that we sit on. At one end of that spectrum, I want you to imagine... And an extreme focus on an exclusive personal encounter with God or what we think is God. And the other end is a commitment to engage with a group with the same basic belief system without any personal uh, engagement with God. The cultural revolution and ministry that Billy Graham was at the forefront of, that was a legitimate response to a culture of just of apathy uh, and lifelessness in the mainstream churches, the mainstream uh, Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodist, Uniting Churches. America was a Christian nation in the sense that a lot of people went to church, but there was no life in them. And it didn't seem to make a difference in people's lives. Billy Graham wanted to preach a gospel that changed everything. And so there are a lot of people in the world still who, who would certainly consider themselves you know, a, a, a Christian, but their person, their, in terms of a personal relationship with God, an engagement with him, rather than just a concept, oh, it's absent. So there is a spectrum. And each of us sits somewhere on that. And I would suggest that neither extreme is particularly healthy. And neither is what we see modeled uh, in the New Testament church. So I thought this morning we could have a look at a cool story uh, in Luke chapter 24. Just to look at some of the engagement of the disciples. Luke chapter 24. 
Read from verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them, that's two of the disciples, uh, were going to a village called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him, which is an interesting sentence. Why couldn't they see him? I think as it, the scripture paints this out, we're going to see that they didn't have faith to see him. See, these guys had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but the crucifixion all but killed that hope off. Hebrews 11 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. They had their own ideas of who Jesus should be. Their ideas were that he should be the Messiah and that he should, well, free Israel from the yoke of uh, Roman tyranny. And that true freedom would probably be lifting that political uh, monster. Uh, So Jesus dying on the cross certainly wasn't in their plan for what the Messiah should be doing. So their faith in Jesus as Messiah took a huge knock. With their faith shattered, they could not see who Jesus really was now. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? <laughs> what things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These disciples, and every disciple I've ever met, uh, need a bit of explanation from time to time. See another example uh, An Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, he was reading God's word, but still couldn't see what it all meant. He couldn't understand. And in that story, God brought someone who had the revelation to his life to explain who was suffering in Isaiah, to explain the gospel 
And here Jesus himself steps in to explain to two disciples who just still didn't get it. And I was a disciple who was pretty confident that I had everything worked out. I understood everything because I had read Grudem's Systematic Theology. I'm not sure if you've seen Grudem's, but it's fat, okay? It's fat. It's fatter than the Bible. Um, and fat in a, in a theology textbook is good. And I'd read it cover to cover. And yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a feat of discipline and uh, perseverance to read a textbook like that. And I've got a pretty good memory for, the, um, for some of the things, so I could retain this knowledge. So if you asked me a, a theological question, I could probably respond uh, articulately from Grudem. And uh, I'd probably astound you with my uh, knowledge. Uh, and then, you know, oh, I read McGrath after that and uh, Erickson. Ooh, man, you need to spend more time with me. <laughs> and so somehow I, I got this idea that I, I knew. I knew because I had an answer, a response to, you know, difficult questions people had about, about the faith. Um, of course, this was completely distanced from any personal revelation or connection with God. This is just, I had the capacity to read at a reading level of above 15 years. So because I did that and committed myself to it, you know, I, I fooled myself into thinking that I actually knew God. Uh, and then, um, I think <laughs> it was my senior pastor at the time, um, when he saw me, I think a, just a little too pridefully responding to a question with a little a bit of condescension, um, threw me a book called um, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And uh, I read it cover to cover because I wanted to show him that, you know, I'm a good reader and, you know, put more knowledge away in here. But within the first chapter, I was absolutely blown away to come understand that knowing God has nothing to do. Knowing God is not something I can find in a book. I can know things about God or, which I've come to understand more, I can know other people's opinions about God as the Pharisees did but have no relational knowledge of him at all. It's like thinking that you can read someone's Facebook page and yeah, your, your best friends. I have... 1,100 best friends. It's awesome. No. What I, what I needed was, was personal encounter. And what I needed was someone or something to break me out of this, this idea that I had it sorted. Uh, what I needed was to spend some time with some people that had a bigger picture than me, that had more revelation, that had experiences and anointing that I could draw from. And so after reading this book, I asked God for that. Uh, I asked God to humble me and, and lead me to people that could impart something deeper than what I had. Because to, to be fair, the, the, the idea of God that I'd worked out in my head from reading textbooks, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great idea at all. God wasn't actually that nice in the end. I wanted the real Jesus.
it's weird. I'm, I've come to a place now. My, my, my humility is, such, I'm not sure if I come off as being overly humble, but my, my humility is such now that um, God's able to teach me things about himself through a three-year-old girl. Uh, even, even yesterday, my three-year-old daughter uh, is just impress, uh, impressing upon me the simplicity of, of a connection with him. Um, I, I, I thought I got the concept of, you know, let the little children come to me. The, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I thought I got the concept of that, but I had no idea until I saw my little girl with their, with their eyes closed and their hands up in the air and just swaying and getting all the words wrong as she sung along to this, um, this, this worship DVD we had on and trying to lead her little sister in, in, in worship. It's awesome because we actually need some more worship leaders. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, next week. <laughs> uh, we have to get the words right. But, but I was sitting there thinking about how, you know, how much I overcomplicate things. And here's this little girl who just is, just, just, just is reaching out to God. And she's working it out as she goes. And Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah, I need, to, I need to be in a place where I can actually stop and just watch and, and receive from her and recognize that God can teach me um, and speak to me through, through anyone and anything. So he can speak to Balaam through a donkey. He can certainly speak to me through a beautiful little girl. But yeah, I need, I need to be a different guy to, to receive that. Verse 28. As they approached the village uh, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So, so yeah, let's pause there. He went to stay with them. Um, I'm not sure what Jesus' plan was. Maybe his plan all along was always to go with them. But he looked like he was going off in another direction. But they wanted more. And so they pleaded with him. I don't know if they were on their hands and knees. I don't know what that looked like. But... They were passionate. There was zeal there. They wanted more of Jesus, so they pleaded, please stay. And what did he do? He stayed. They were hungry. I love that new song, bro. They were hungry, and so they reached for more, and Jesus gave them what they wanted. Uh, reminds me of the verse in Jeremiah 29, uh, 29 13. Um, seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Uh, there's, there's faith in that. Uh, their time, just not walking on the road, kindled faith again, re- reignited it. And so they reached for more. And Jesus gave them what they wanted. So he stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> <Stink. laughs> yeah, okay. I don't even know what that's about. They finally, they finally see, uh, and that's what they needed. They needed to see him for who he was, and that was it. Cool. So now Jesus has got other things to do. I'll see you later. Uh, I, I, I haven't fleshed it out anymore, but I find it interesting that the environment in which the revelation came was, uh, was communion. It was sitting around a table breaking bread together, in fellowship, I don't know, were they meditating on the things that they'd heard Jesus say through um, earlier in the day? But that is when 
it came in that fellowship. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their eyes were opened. They didn't figure it out for themselves. Jesus gave them spiritual sight so they could see what their physical eyes could not. And this, is, this has been one of the biggest learnings for me being here at The Rock, the idea that um, it's not all going to come because I've worked it out, that my mind has rationalized the concept. So that, that's the paradigm I came from. I needed to rationalize things first. And when they made sense to my mind, then I could receive it. And so I wasn't receiving much because that was my process, this, this head process. And any teaching to the contrary that, you know, that it can't be understood to me was just anti-intellectualism. You know, you've got a dumb faith, you know. You don't understand? Oh, you know, God's not understandable. It's a mystery. I didn't want any of that because it offended my, uh, my mind. And so I don't know. I don't know how to describe the faith that I had. But it wasn't anything, anything special, that's for sure. I had the word devoid of the power. Now, I, I didn't even have the word. It's here, plain. It's clear throughout that God drops revelation on people, drops it into their spirit, and they don't understand it, but they receive it by faith, and then it changes them, and then understanding comes. Man. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Woo-hoo! I love what they do. They get the revelation. Jesus is back. He's the real deal. He is the Messiah. And what do they do? Woo-hoo! Right back to Jerusalem. They've got to find the disciples. They've got, they've got to tell them it's true. You can believe those crazy women. They actually know what they're talking about. Jesus is back. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You receive revelation. It's not just for you. You know, it's not just for your personal relationship with Jesus. For your Jesus. It's all the same Jesus, right? We get that. I established that earlier. It's all the same Jesus. He's giving his church revelation. We need to be sharing this. The, the zeal, the excitement, the burning in the hearts that they experienced, that moves us to share what he has given us with others. It's why the times we have here are so special and important. That as those among us receive from God, we can share it with others. Because God isn't necessarily going to give every single one of us some big theophany, some huge blow-you-off-your-feet moment. And if we start seeking that and desiring something that's massively tangible, uh, we miss what's there the whole time. It's not about, it isn't about the, the experience and the wow factor. The wow factor comes as the revelation and word of God 
finds a seed in our hearts and actually starts to change us. That's amazing. That's wow. Ending up on the floor at the front. Cool. Have fun. But if you walk away and you're not any different, what was that about? I need something a lot more than that. So yeah, they run back. They confirm the word of, of Mary and the other women. And verse 35, when the two told what had happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So the fruit of them sharing their revelation and their encounter was that then the disciples received the same thing. They received an encounter with him. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts still rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while, I was still not, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. There are deeper truths in God's word that we are missing because our eyes are closed. We are talking here about spiritual truths, but we are still trying to perceive them through physical eyes and through carnal earthly thinking. And so I'm not sure if there's things that you've heard preached here that, that you, you haven't got or you read the same scriptures that are being preached and thinking, I'm not getting that. I would suggest to you that there's every possibility that you're not reading spiritually. The apostles, the apostles weren't getting it. They had learned to memorize the Torah, the first uh, five books of the Bible as children. They had the word of God in their heads. But they weren't getting it. Jesus had been quoting the stuff through his whole ministry and trying to explain it to them. They still weren't getting it because there was a link missing. So Jesus nailed it there and then. Spiritually, he imparted them to them the ability to see deeper. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he goes on to then explain what the Messiah really was. And reveal that, yeah, I am the Messiah. Good. Bible study is not an academic exercise. It is a spiritual exercise. It is an engagement with the Holy Spirit. King David's prayer in Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. This is not new teaching. This is old teaching. David knew that there was more in there than what he was seeing. And he wanted more. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Are you reading with your eyes closed? With your mind closed to new revelation? 
Is your mind shut down to something that you haven't heard before? If you want to grow, you have to be open to God, God bringing you more than you've had before. As I, as I said before, I really thought I did have it all worked out. And so anything that seemed like new teaching to me just had to be heresy. Because I hadn't heard that before. Because it wasn't in the textbooks that I'd read. Thankfully, I'm now in a place where I desperately need there to be more. I need there to be more than what I already have. I want more than what I already have. And so I want to position myself now to, re- to, to receive whatever it is that God wants uh, for me. Four years ago, the idea that God might remove surgical steel from out of people's bodies. Nah, that's a trick of lights and mirrors, surely. And x-rays. God only really removed surgical steel in the Bible. God was miraculous to prove a point. So we could get, you know, all that cool, powerful stuff in the Bible so that we could then believe by faith. Turns out the God of the Bible is the God of today. Turns out he doesn't change that much. Turns out he's just as powerful now as he ever was. Turns out he's still, his heart breaks for the lepers as much now as it ever did then and every other brokenness that is here. So when as people cry out in faith, heal me, Lord, turns out he still kind of does that stuff. Wasn't just to prove a point, except for the point, yeah, I love you. Okay, so it isn't that big a revelation, the, the concept of, of, of reading and searching the scriptures with, with your spiritual eyes open. It's really just positioning yourself. It's recognizing what I, what I want to do now is as I turn these pages and as I soak up these words, what I want to do is I want to engage with you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I want you to speak to me. Okay, I don't just want to get words off a page. I want to receive the word of God. So Lord, I pray that you would give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to perceive, a heart to receive what your word is for me. Lord, I pray you'd make me humble to receive whatever it is and soft so that you can mold me into this. That is, all that is, that's positioning myself to engage with God. And it's not just about reading the Bible. It's, it's a, a position for life. If you walk around with that attitude, God can teach you through a three-year-old girl or a three-year-old boy. It works the same. God can speak to you in all kinds of situations. I've come to believe that God is trying to speak to me all the time. I can't actually turn him off. What I have turned off, though, uh, is uh, my, my spiritual hearing. And I have shut down my spiritual sight. So he's speaking all the time. I'm just not listening that well. So what this does, this positioning, just puts me in a place to, okay, now I can receive better. It's tuning it in. So... Uh, the mindset we're trying to break here is, uh, is it's a religious approach to reading the Bible. And I, I don't, I don't uh, again, want to offend anyone. Uh, but this is something different than just um, 
uh, word for the day. Um, I think word for the day and um, the associated scripture is a good thing. You should do it. Knock yourself out. It's good. Uh, but if, if that's it, if that's your engagement with God for the day, you're really, really missing out. That's not it. That's not, there, there isn't a box to tick on this. Um, uh, relationship with God is, there's no boxes to tick in relating to God. And certainly, working through today's word of the day uh, and that verse, that's not necessarily relating to God at all. So you position yourself for something more than that. You can read the word today with spiritual eyes open and see even more in there. Because what you're getting there is, is revelation. As God has poured revelation out on the writer as they read through that text. You can receive that, but there's so much more. So what we're looking to do is get past this ticking the boxes relationship with God thing and just relate to him all the time. Because it turns out he's there all the time. And we, we might try to put him in a box, but he's, uh, he can't be put in a box. So he's there the whole time, whether we like it or not. So we position ourselves. Okay. Uh, Luke 24 is the... Uh, well, Luke 24 then follows on to Acts, written by the same guy. And the story picks up in Acts, and I just want to grab this little bit of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Okay, so uh, end, of, um, end of Luke 24, uh, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. Okay, they do that. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What I wanted to, just to track through uh, the, the narrative in, in Luke 24 and just here at the start of Acts is this, this thing. And the theme is the togetherness of them. The, the, the theme was being on a journey together. In Acts chapter 2, they are together again, and the Holy Spirit anoints them in power. That anointing leads to uh, anointed preaching, which led to uh, 3,000 giving their lives to Jesus for a personal relationship, um, which then led uh, Acts 2, 44, 46, led to bigger and greater community. That community multiplies and spreads all over the earth, bringing the message and grace and power of God to the world. From the start of his public ministry, Jesus created a community of disciples. He didn't just grab Peter and say, right, Peter, you're going to start something awesome and just pour all his heart and soul and mind into this this one guy. From the start, Jesus surrounded himself with followers. And not just the 12 apostles, the, uh, the, the two guys we read about on the road to Emmaus. They weren't the 12, but they were in the wider group around that. Jesus raised up a lot of disciples, and he taught them in groups, and he revealed things in groups. Even when he, when he just brought something very special down, just to share something very intimate with a couple of guys, it was still three guys. 
relationship and community was how he taught. Discipleship was a team sport. And that's something I really want to impress upon you. Because, as I mentioned earlier, our, our culture and the, the philosophical paradigm that we just absorb and are part of makes it all about us. And discipleship has always been for us a personal thing. It's just about me and God sitting in my room, if I'm onto it, with the Bible out, trying to work out how, what all this means. And in that space, we do. We work something out. And we work out our own Jesus. We work out our own sense of what this is all about in the kingdom. And it turns out that, you know, in that, some things we get right, some things who knows where that comes from. Because we're doing it on our own, not recognizing it's not supposed to be that way. It was always supposed to be in community. Four and a half years ago, I left my job at another church, as I believe God had called me to, and I began exploring uh, other employment opportunities. Uh, One of the doors that opened up um, would have me not working in a church, which would have been very different for me. Uh, And would have paid pretty well. And and I was thinking, oh, okay, well, where where would I fellowship? Where would I go to where would I connect if I uh if I followed this opportunity? Because I mean I have to go here because of the job. But uh no one's laughing. Okay, I love it here. I love it here. I would come here if I wasn't paid. We good? Okay, good. <laughs> Need to Make my sarcasm more obvious, I think. So this other job uh, looked really good, but um, I wasn't sure where I would plug in. Um, Part of the call I felt to leave the other place wasn't just to leave the job, but God really wanted to move me on. And I seriously looked at the option of, you know, know, starting up like a house church kind of thing, just starting something up with my family, you know, and um, actually it would just mean Leslie. It wouldn't have been much of a... Is that a house church of these two of you? But yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd thought about the, the idea. I like the idea of church planting, and even if it was just you know, just uh, our family, um, we could grow biologically um, eventually. It's a legitimate form of evangelism, actually. If you're married. Um, and so I thought, oh, you know, and and some of it was some of it was attractive to me because I could do church the way I want to. Okay, so that old chestnut comes back. Um, and I, I, I knew others who had a house, house church kind of set up, and apparently it you know, works wonders in China. So I thought, oh, yeah, 100 million Chinese, that can't be wrong, surely. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm seriously considering this, and um, the money's attractive. Uh, but God impressed upon me that that was not what he wanted me to do, and he led me miraculously to hear and has confirmed in so many ways that this really is where he wants me to be. And, oh, really stoked that he did that. Uh, Leslie and I and our kids have been challenged and grown in ways that I cannot imagine would have happened if we hadn't followed God's leading here. I've been exposed to new teaching. I've been exposed to experiences uh, that have broadened my understanding of God, uh, uh, his kingdom, and my place in that. There is something new that was here. There was something new that God was birthing here. When I say new, this is something that God is doing all over the world. As as pastors, leaders, elders just abandon themselves for God to do what he wants to do. And so as uh, leaders are tuning into 
God's message for us. God is realigning the church. And this was happening here. And I needed to be a part of this. I needed it for myself personally, for my family. But also I want to be a part of this to lead, lead God's people forward into his plan for the church. So I, I need this place. I need to receive what God is doing here. And it has done wonders for me. It's done wonders for Leslie. And it's great to see my girls growing up in this and grabbing hold of it. I needed to be in a community to be exposed to these revelations. I needed to be in community to see God move in extraordinary ways. I certainly believe that the house church movement uh, is important in the world and in different contexts really work. And the fact there's a proper uh, house church movement is a movement. I'm not talking about just everyone does their own little thing. There is connectedness. There is accountability. There is a sharing of resources and vision. I was looking at something different to that. But that's not what God had for me. I needed to be in community to receive the prayer, ministry, and discipleship that has imparted the wisdom and anointing that has broken through my old mindsets and burst old wineskins. But it's not just enough to turn up to a church service. I think good things happen here, and you can choose to engage in that. But there is so much more that God has for us than just this. We need to engage in relationships, in conversations. We need to contend for truth together. We need to approach each other humbly so that we can learn from each other, receive ministry, support, and revelation from each other. Greg has shared a number of times that the prophecy that really sent him uh, in the direction that, uh, that we now see the rock going was brought to him by someone that he would not receive from, someone that he just didn't really see God on in that kind of way and didn't have a relationship where he would take it from them. But God made him. And praise God, Greg humbled himself to receive from someone that he wouldn't normally have uh, received from. And so from that, we now see the fruit of that prophecy. But it starts with having a humble heart that I will receive God in whatever way you want to communicate. If we don't, we limit how God can speak and minister to us. Do you really want to be putting limits on God that way? We need to put ourselves in environments where we can be edified by all the gifts of the Spirit and so receive all the revelation, instruction, and impartation that God has for us. And that has been a major breakthrough for me. To this end, we are very pleased to present to you what is going to be a very awesome opportunity. I'm not sure if you've heard, well, actually have heard Whisper of it. We had a, a very cool promo, Simon, for a uh, new environment that we are launching in a month. It's called Ignite. Okay? Uh, Ignite is what we believe God is leading us into as a whole church to, uh, in a unified manner, walk into a deeper uh, or deeper journey with, with Jesus. It's a discipleship environment. By that, I mean learning to and grabbing hold of what it means to be a disciple and equipping each other 
to fully live for him and make a difference in this world. It's probably going to be uh, at least a little bit different to anything you've seen before. It's not an academic course, though there will be things to read and there will be presentations of things. This whole concept is drenched in engagement with the Holy Spirit, recognizing that what we really want to see imparted here comes from above. And as we read his word, and as we look at some, uh, some awesome teaching, we need to do that with our spiritual eyes open, with our minds open to receive what he has. So that means the whole course needs to be drenched in this. So we, we want to kick it off, not with a lecture. We want to kick it off with a night of engagement with God, of impartation, of learning to, to understand what it means to connect with God. Okay? We understand that not everyone's on the same page with, with uh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit or how to engage with Him. And so what this is about is bringing us all uh, into alignment, on, onto the same page. And it's going to be pitched in such a way that whether you're a new believer or you've been in faith your whole life, there will be ex- um, teaching and experiences to stretch you. We're taking all that into account. But we're very passionate about this idea of us doing it together. And for us, that's what walking together means, that we want to receive this stuff together. We want to contend for the truth and thrash it out and, and work out what it means for us together. We want you to do this as a life group. Bring your life group to this. Bring whoever you can to this. We're going to be running this um, course. Uh, the first one launches in a month. But we're looking to, to run it and keep running it until we have got our people through it. And then we'll keep running it because our church is going to be growing and growing and growing. Because you know what happens when people really grab hold of what a disciple is? They make disciples. They share the revelation God has given them. And people come to faith. And then those people have to do this course. So we're just going to keep doing it and refining as we go. But I'm very, very excited about this. And some very awesome people have been involved in putting it together. So uh, in short, uh, it wasn't that short, was it? Uh, In short, (laughs) discipleship is a team sport. This is something that we do together. We walk together. It's not just you and your Jesus. Let's seek the Jesus together. Okay? And I really, I, I just sincerely invite you to, to, to do what you can to be a part of this. We're going to try to make it as accessible as, as possible. We are not going to charge for this course. We're going to ask you for your time and for a humble heart position to receive. But we don't want finances to be a barrier to anyone engaging in this. This is a major part of our discipleship strategy going forward. And so the elders want to make this available to everyone at no charge. So in the foyer after the service, we have a, a desk where you can come and you can sign up this morning or you can... Uh, get some information, take away, and consider the logistics of making this happen. But um, Ignite is going to be very, very powerful. So please join us in that. Yeah. Cool.
That's probably what I wanted to share this morning. Is, is that all right? Any, any questions? I don't usually open the floor for questions, but... Um, good, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. If you do have any questions, please come and um, meet me out in the foyer. Um, otherwise, um, we're going to um, call it quits there. Uh, if you haven't got any plans for lunch, please consider taking someone um, uh, home with you for dinner or meeting out somewhere uh, at a wonderful cafe. Make some new friends and build some new relationships today. Have an awesome week. And uh, yeah, publish.